Good. Good to see you guys. Hold on. Give me just a second. There we go. All right. Well, um, if you are a guest with us here this morning at the 9 A's campus, this is a very normal thing that happens here. So thank you for being with us. Now, I'll explain him uh, here in a second. But I do just want to reiterate what Pastor Seth said a moment ago, and that is if you are a guest with us here today, we do just want to extend a very special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being our guest. Uh, my name is Tony. One of the pastors here on staff at Grace, and uh, so I would love to get a chance to meet you if we haven't had a chance to do that yet. Uh, so maybe if you can catch me in the cafe afterwards, would love to hear your story. But uh, today, we're actually beginning a brand new series that we are calling Unleashed. And, uh, and if you are just joining us, or if you're newer here to the Medina East Campus, what you might not know is that this new series that we're starting together today is actually part of a bigger conversation uh, that we've been having all semester uh, here at Grace Church at the Medina East Campus. So during the fall semester, we've been spending several weeks talking through a very important statement. And so let me introduce that to you if you're just joining us. And if you've been with us, let me just remind you of what that is. But here is the statement that we've been spending several weeks kind of deconstructing, processing through, and talking through. And this is it again. We've been saying that when the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, it unleashes the power of God, and we join the unstoppable movement of God. Okay, so this is the statement that we've been looking at together. And again, the reason that we said this statement is so important and we want to spend so much time thinking about it together is because we said that this statement reflects a very important pattern that we see in the Bible. Now, when you look in the pages of Scripture, what you find is that when God's people, when the people who love and trust God, when they deliberately and purposefully put themselves outside of their comfort zone, right, when they step out in faith, that it has this effect where God's power is unleashed in them and God's power is unleashed through them and they get to be part of this movement, this thing that God is doing here on earth. And so we said, this is an important statement because it reflects what we see in the Bible, but we also said that we believe that this is more than just that. We believe this is also an invitation. We believe this is an invitation for every single one of us in this room, that when we will purposefully step outside of our comfort zone, for the things that matter to God, right? When we deliberately, purposefully make ourselves uncomfortable for things that matter to God, that it actually causes us to transform, that it unleashes God's power in our lives and through our lives into the world that we live in, and we get to take part in this movement that God is accomplishing on this earth. So this is the statement we've been processing through. The last series we just finished last week, we actually focused on the first part of this statement. So we talked for six weeks. We said, practically speaking, what does it mean for the people of God to be uncomfortable for the things of God? And so we just talked about that. We looked at that. We, we actually challenged all of you to make yourself uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. And, and by the way, if you missed that, I would encourage you, you can go back to our website, our podcast, our app. You can watch or listen to all of those talks for free. But what we're doing in this series is we're actually going to be focusing on the second part. So we're going to spend the next few weeks, and we're going to be talking about Practically speaking, what does it mean for God's power to be unleashed in my life and through my life? Okay, so for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that maybe today not everyone does follow Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus conversation, and if that's the case, welcome. We're glad you're here, and we're glad that you're part of the conversation. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we're going we're gonna to try to investigate this question, what does it mean for God's power to be unleashed in and through us? Like, what does that look like? If God wants to unleash his transformative power in my life and through my life, which I think he, he wants to do, how does that actually happen? Like, like, how does that work exactly? For God's power to be unleashed, what does that look like? Does that look like, for example, does that look like I'm never gonna get sick and that I'm gonna make a bunch of money? Does that what it, is that what it means for God's power to be unleashed in me? Does it mean that I'm gonna somehow have superpowers? Is that what it mean? means for God's power to be unleashed in me? Like, what does it actually look like, practically speaking, for this to take place. And so today, as we kind of start this conversation about what it looks like for God's power to be unleashed in and through us, we're going to talk about what I think is a very important foundation, and that is this. What we're going to talk about is that part of understanding how God's power is unleashed in and through us is understanding this idea, this image of the unleashed body. Okay, so this is what we're going to be talking about today, talking about this idea, this image that we're going to find in the Bible if we're going to understand how does God want his power to be unleashed in and through us, for those of us who follow Christ, I think it begins in understanding this idea of the unleashed body. Now, what am I talking about with this? Well, this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me, and we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. Okay, so the passage that we're going to be spending our time 
kind of looking at and dissecting this morning is Romans 12. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and find Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring a Bible of your own, uh, you can feel free to make use of one of ours. So we have those black Bibles that are in the chairs, should be underneath you or in front of you. You can turn to page 790 in those Bibles. That's where you're going to find uh, Romans 12. So go ahead and find that. Now, as you're locating Romans 12, um, what we're going to find here, you probably picked up on this. If you, if you were in the previous series, you probably picked up that what we're trying to do in this series is we're actually journeying through and we're looking at these different images of, of what the Bible explains about the people of God. There's a bunch of different images the Bible uses to describe the people of God, the, the, those who follow Jesus, who they are, and how they are to interact with each other in the world. And what we're going to see is, I think in this passage in Romans 12, is maybe the most popular image that is used to describe the church in our culture, and that is this idea of the body of Christ. So that's what we're going to see in Romans 12, this idea of the body of Christ. And like I said, of all of the images the Bible uses to describe the church, this is probably the most popular one in our culture today. In fact, my guess is even if you're not a church person, like if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably have heard this, right, that the church considers themselves the body of Christ. I'm just out of curiosity, how many of you have heard that before? You're like, yeah, I've heard that, totally heard that before. Many of us have heard that, and that's not, there's nothing new with this, but we see that this is an image the Bible puts forth about the church. And Romans is one of the premier passages where we find this. So let's just take a look. We're going to start off in verse 3. And here's what Paul, one of the early church leaders, says about the church, about the people of God, writing to a group of people in Rome. Here's what he says. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so here's, here's the image. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the other members. We have different gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Okay, so we'll, we'll pause there. But what you see in this passage, once again, it's a brief passage, but the obvious image, the obvious illustration that we see in here is the Bible is talking about the, the body of Christ, right? That is the picture, that is the image that we have here. And again, this isn't just exclusive to this passage. Uh, this is also in Romans chapter 12. We see the same idea. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. You see the same idea. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. You see the same idea. Colossians chapter 1. You see the same idea. So this is in a lot of different places in the Bible. But here's the metaphor. I think it makes sense to all of us. And like I said, it's not new. Here's what the Bible says about the people of God. It says the people of God are like a body. We're like the body of Christ. And other passages of the Bible tell us that Christ is like the head. This guy's really tall, by the way. He's like 6'5". Right? So, so Christ is the head of the church. And all of the different members of the church, those of us who follow Jesus, the Bible says we're like different body parts. And so we all have different skills and abilities and we're all, we have different shape and God has made us who we are so that we can work together and that we can be part of the body of Christ. Now again, there's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. Many of us have heard this before. But here's, here's why I wanted to talk about this here today. And this is why I wanted to talk about the body underneath the heading of unleashed. The reason is because as familiar as many of us are with this image that the church is the body of Christ, I think there is something that oftentimes is very obvious that oftentimes gets missed when we think about this idea that the church, that those of us who follow Christ are the body of Christ. And here's what I mean by that. I think there's something real obvious that oftentimes gets missed. And, and here, here, here's what I mean. What I mean is if you've ever heard a sermon, or if you've ever read anything about the body of Christ or heard a teaching about the body of Christ, most often what's, what gets emphasized is community, right? That's usually what gets emphasized. So when we talk about the body of Christ, we say, well, yeah, you know, we're supposed to be a body. And so what that means is we're supposed to be in community with each other, right? We're Christians are supposed to, they're supposed to be in a, in a deep, connected relationship with each other that's so connected that we are unified, right? That we, 
we serve each other and we all use our different gifts to love each other and to help each other and to support each other. And so the body is talking about how we are to be a community and we're supposed to really be committed and care about one another. And that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the body of Christ, that it's about us loving each other who are Christians and caring about each other and using our gifts to support each other. And we're supposed to live in like a symbiotic relationship in the way they, the same way that body parts live in a symbiotic relationship with each other. That's what it means to be the body. And let me just say, if you've ever heard that before, that the body of Christ is about community, I would say that that is, that is absolutely accurate. That one of the key features that we see about the body of Christ is it's communicating to us the necessity of community. That for those of us who follow Jesus, we are to live in an interconnected, deep, committed relationship with other followers of Christ. That is absolutely true. However, and this is the thing, I think what oftentimes gets missed And again, I think this is just the obvious feature that when the Bible says we're the body of Christ, it doesn't just simply say something about community. I think it obviously says something and maybe even more so about mission. It actually says something about mission. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. The goal of a body is never just to be a body. That's never, the, that's never the end of the body. The goal of a body is to be a vehicle, to be a, to be a healthy, able-bodied vehicle to enact the will and the work of the mind and the spirit that is within the body. So, does that make sense? A body does not exist just to be about itself. A body exists to be a responsive, healthy vehicle to enact the mission and the will and the, and, and the work of the mind and the spirit that dwells within it. And so the body doesn't just speak about community. I think even more so, it speaks about community for the purpose of a mission that we are to accomplish that together. Now, if that, if that doesn't make sense or if that's not connecting with you, let me see if I can put it another way. So I'm, I'm going to try to say it a different way, um, and, and this is a way that maybe makes sense to me. So this is going to sound a little bit silly. But that's okay because I have a mannequin on the stage. And so I think it's already gotten to that level. But um, what came to my mind when I was thinking about this idea of the body was I actually started thinking about this show my kids like to watch. So my, I have four kids. My wife and I have four kids. And our two oldest boys uh, are nine and seven. And a while ago, they don't really like to watch it anymore, but they used to really like, like to watch uh, the Power Rangers. And uh, I know some of you grew up watching Power Rangers. Some of you have kids that maybe watch the Power Rangers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Power Rangers. There's like a thousand versions of the Power Rangers. I think the one that they like to watch was called Power Rangers Super Mega Force, which I, did, I was just like, man, can you add any more high-impact words Power Rangers Super Mega Force Fest 2018.com. Like, I don't know what else can you add to the thing, right? It's just great. But that's the one they like to watch. And so this show, if you haven't seen it, it's, if you've never watched the Power Rangers, essentially what it is is that there's five different rangers, and uh, they all have different abilities and different skill sets and different weaponry. And uh, essentially, they fight the forces of evil. I think that's what they, I don't even really know. It's hard to track. The show's so, so, so hard to follow. But, um, but basically, whenever my kids would watch this show, um, inevitably, every episode that I would watch with them, which I, I, I didn't watch many with them, but the shows that I did watch, I noticed that there was a trend. And what would happen is the Power Rangers would be fighting the bad guys, and by the end of the show, there was always some bad guy that was too powerful for them to be on their own. They couldn't beat them individually. And so what they would do at the end is the Power Rangers would come together and they would form one giant Power Ranger. They would form a body of Power Rangers. And if you've ever seen Power Rangers, does anyone know what this Power Ranger is called? Trivia, Power Ranger trivia. Does anyone know what this is called? Nobody. Or maybe you're just too afraid to say it. Megazord. All right, so Megazord is, and by the way, if you're a child of the 80s, Megazord is a total ripoff of Voltron, like just straight up. But basically, what happens is the yellow Power Ranger with his vehicles and his, you know, weaponry forms with the pink one as the other leg, and they all come together, and they form this one body of this Megazord Power Ranger. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever seen this show, the scene in which the the Power Rangers are coming together is the most exaggerated, like, 
emphasized um, high adrenaline scene of them all. So, so when they're all coming together, um, you like it's you know the camera angles are all like they're all super you know motiony and and the the rangers are doing these ninja moves and then the music is really like epic and 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 basically when you're watching this scene when they're converging together to become the Megazord, you're watching it and you're certain that what's about to happen is that there's a butt kick in that's about to take place. Like you just, when you watch it, you know that's what's happening. These five Power Rangers are converging together and whatever's gonna be on the receiving end of whatever this thing is going to attack is not gonna stand against it because the five of them are coming together. Now, here's the thing. The reason you know it's butt kicking time, besides the high adrenaline, you know, footage and the music, the reason that you know that it's butt kicking time, and this is so important, is because when the body comes together, it is always for the purpose of mission. When the body comes together, it's always for a reason and it's for a purpose in which that's gonna take place. They put it this way, how lame, how lame would Power Rangers be? It already is lame, it's lame show. How much more lame <laughs> would Power Rangers be if when Megazord came together, you know, there's all this high action, you know, high intensity footage and all this music. And then finally, when they came together, Megazord just stood there and then sat down and ate chips and dip. Like, how lame would that be, right? How lame would it be if the Power Rangers were like, isn't this awesome? We're Megazord, yes! And then they just sat down and ate chips. Like, it would be totally lame. And why is that? Well, because the goal of a body isn't just to be a body, The goal of a body isn't just to enjoy, look at us, we're a body, yeah. The goal of a body is to enact a mission. It is to operate the will and the work of the spirit and the mind within it. By the way, this is the new Megazord, if you've seen the new Power Rangers, which was admittedly pretty awesome. Uh, But that's him. But here's the point. The body doesn't simply exist for itself. The goal of the body isn't to be a body. The goal of a body is to be a vehicle to enact the will and the work and the mission and the heart of the mind and the spirit that lies within it. Here's what I want you to think about for a minute, all right? When when the Apostle Paul says that we are the body of Christ, I want you just to think about the implications of what he just said. Because here's what the Bible teaches, okay? Just a couple quick points. The Bible teaches us this. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is God in bodily form. This is, by the way, if you're a person investigating Jesus, this is the baseline teaching of Christianity. This is what Christians believe. Christians believe something about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was not just a good teacher. We, do, we think he was a good teacher, but we think more than that. We think that he was actually God incarnate, the incarnation. That's actually what uh, the theological term is for God in bodily form. So here's what we believe. We believe that in the same way that this, this mannequin this body physically, tangibly, there's a reason I used a mannequin and not a real person, by the way. This would be really awkward if I was using a real, a real person. But we believe that in the same way that this physically tang- that, that this body is physical and tangible, that God himself came and dwelt among us in bodily form. That's what the Bible teaches. In addition to that, here's, what, oh, here's a couple verses, by the way. First, uh, First Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great, that God appeared in the flesh. This is what the Bible teaches, that God took on flesh. He became a body. He took on bodily form. First, uh, uh, John chapter one, verse one, and also verse 14, the gospel writer says this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, he goes on to say, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And so what's the Bible saying? It's saying that the, the same God who created the universe The word who was in the very beginning, he became flesh and he dwelt among us that Jesus is God in bodily form. Same thing in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, he himself, uh, uh, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God became made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the Bible tells us in many different places that Jesus was God who has come in bodily form. Here's what we also believe. The spirit of God inhabited the body of Christ to do the will and the work of God. So when Jesus was on this earth in bodily form, the Bible tells us that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was filled by the Holy Spirit and he was able to do the will and the work of God. So when Jesus was on this earth in bodily form, 
when he performed his miracles and when he did the work that God wanted him to do, how did he do that? And the answer is, he did it, he used his body. He used his body. So um, John chapter 9, when Jesus performed a miracle, there was a man born blind. How did Jesus perform that miracle? Well, the Bible tells us he did that by using his body. He spit on the ground. He used his saliva. He used his mouth. It's kind of awkward, but that's what he did. He used his hands. He made mud. He put the mud on the man's eyes, and the man could see. When Jesus performed miracles, most often he used his body. When Jesus would preach, when he would tell people about the gospel and the good news about who God was and what he was like, how did he do that? The answer is he used his body. So he would use his vocal cords, and he would use his mouth, and he would use his lungs, and he'd use his diaphragm, and he would use his body to project, to tangibly speak something into the air in which people could understand and they could hear. He used his body to accomplish the will and the work of God. When Jesus wanted to communicate to sinners and tax collectors and, and people who were disenfranchised in the social margin, when he wanted to communicate that God was for them and he loved them, how did he do that? Well, the Bible tells us that he did it with his body. He was present. He would sit with them. He would eat with them. He would be with them, and his body was his presence. When Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, what did he do? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so Jesus used his body to sacrifice for us. And so Jesus, when he was on this earth, the way in which he accomplished his mission, the way in which he unleashed his power was through his body. Now, here's the crazy thing. So the Bible has the audacity to tell us that after Jesus rose from the dead, that his spirit came to those who follow him. That if, those, if you follow Jesus, the Bible says the same spirit that indwelt Christ indwells us now. And the Bible says this. The church is now called the body of Christ. So the church is now called the body of Christ. This is what the picture is. That Jesus is the head of his body. And we are now the hands and feet. And we are, we are the tangible way in which God wants to express and unleash his power in and through our lives and into the world that we live in. In other words, what this is telling us, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this way, about the church. I don't know what you think about the church. I don't know what your experience with the church is. But here's what the Bible teaches us about the church, that God's means to accomplish his will and his mission on this earth is through his church. That the way that God wants to unleash his power on this earth in your life and through your life is through his body. It is the body of Christ. So think about it this way. Jesus loves Medina. True or false? True, true. Jesus loves Brunswick. True or false? Someone said false. <laughs> it's true, by the way. Jesus loves Wadsworth. True or false? It's debatable. Yeah, no, he does, right? Jesus loves... Jesus loves Granger, and he loves Copley, and he loves Hinckley, and he loves Strongsville, and he loves, Jesus loves, Jesus loves all of them. Jesus loves it. Now, if, if Jesus, which I believe with all of my heart, if Jesus wants to, to bring his message, the message of reconciliation, the message of forgiveness to this world, how is he going to do that? If Jesus loves Medina, and he wants to bring his message forth to the people of Medina, how's he going to do it? Here's the answer. He's going to use his body. And who's his body? That's us. That is us. Jesus Christ desires that disciples of Christ will be made. He wants that. He wants people to know and follow and love Jesus, to learn what it means to follow him. That's what God wills for the people of Medina. He loves them. He wants to invite them into his family he wants to transform them. He wants them to be discipled. And how's he going to do that? He's going to do it through his body. And who's his body? That's us. That's us. God wants to, Jesus wants to take the brokenness of the place that we live. And he wants to address the brokenness. He wants to bring his power into that. He wants to, he wants to fix social injustices. He wants to care for the poor. He wants to care for those who are in situations where they cannot care for themselves. Jesus desires to tangibly do these things in our community. And here's, here's the question. How's he going to do it? He's going to use his body, just like he always has. And his body is the tangible expression of his love poured forth into this earth. And that only happens when the body of Christ comes together. 
And, and so how, how does God want to unleash his power? How does he want to do it? Well, it starts by understanding this. He wants to use his body. And for those of us who follow Christ, we have to understand that that's us. That's us. That God wants to do that through us together. I love what J.D. Greer said. J.D. Greer is a pastor and teacher. Uh, by the way, he wrote a phenomenal book. If you're looking for a good read, it's called Gaining by Losing. It's one of, uh, one of the most impactful books I've read in a long time. And here's what he said about the church. I love this. This is what J.D. Greer said. He said, as a boy, I love superheroes. And the one superhero whose disguise I could never quite master as a kid was the invisible man. So the closest I could come was going into my sister's room when she was away, messing her stuff up and then telling her the invisible man had done it, which is pretty great, by the way. On the invisible man television show, when someone wanted to make him visible, they would pour paint on him and then you could see his shape and you could track his, his movements. Now watch what he says next. This is so great. I suggest that the local church is the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible to our community. Let me just say it again, because that's such an important statement. I believe that the local church is the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible to our community. And its fellowship and its holiness of life and its multicultural diversity, its selfless acts of love, its forgiveness, its boldness, it reveals the contours of the eternal heavenly Christ that dwells within them. When, the local, church, when local churches equip their people to employ the gospel in the streets, they make the movements of an otherwise invisible Christ visible to their community. So you see what he's saying? He's saying the same thing. He's saying that the church of, of God is intended to be the, the way in which God's power is unleashed in our lives and through our lives. It's what God desires for us. So here's the question, and with the, the small time that we have left together, uh, what needs to happen? What needs to happen in order for us to experience God's power unleashed in the way that he's talking about in Romans chapter 12? What needs to happen for us to see the body of Christ become everything that God wants it to become? And what I want to suggest to you just with the time that we have is three things. I think there's actually three convictions, three conclusions that every follower of Jesus must come to in order for us to actually see this take place in the way that God desires. Three convictions, three conclusions. And here they are. I'll just show them to you and we'll work through them uh, pretty quick. They're these. First off, I think every follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to come to the conviction, <clears throat> I am not as important as I think I am. I am not as important as I think I am. We like to preach encouraging messages here at the Medina East Campus, and there it is. You're not as important as you think you are, right? But number two, I'm more valuable than I think I am. That might sound like a contradiction in terms, but I don't think it is. I'm more valuable than I think I am. And then number three, I think every follower of Jesus needs to come to the conclusion, I'm exactly who God says I am. I'm exactly who God says I am. These three things are very important. In fact, they're so important, I want you to get them, them uh, kind of uh, in your mind. So why don't you repeat them? In fact, why don't you find someone next to you? Just find someone next to you. You pick someone and just look at them and say, hey, you're not as important as you think you are. Just find somebody. You pick. Just tell them. You're not as important as you think you are. It's good. Thanks for doing that, by the way. They needed to hear that. They're getting a big head, right? No, I'm just kidding. Find somebody else, someone different, and then look at them and say, but you're more valuable than you think you are. Tell them that. Say, you are more valuable than you think you are. And then find one other person, one other person, and point at them sharply and say, you are exactly who God says you are. Just do that. You can even poke them in the chest if that's socially appropriate to do. All right, so good. All right, so let's just, let's just briefly think through it. Three easy conclusions to come to. Number one, I'm not as important as I think I am. And what the Apostle Paul is going to say in Romans 12 is he's going to say if we're actually going to become this body that God desires us to be, it all begins in the way that we think about ourselves. In fact, I want you to notice what Paul says in Romans 12. This is really fascinating. Before he even begins talking about the body, look what he says. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And then he says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, this is a really important statement because Paul's going to say, actually, the verse prior to this, what Paul says, as he says that those of us who follow Jesus should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And where does the renewing of our mind start? It begins with the way that we view ourselves. And so what he says is, if you're going to understand that you are part of the body of Christ, it actually begins by not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. Uh, these two terms, by the way, uh, I think they're really fascinating because in the Greek language, 
uh, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought and be sober in judgment. Those are actually two related terms in the Greek. Um, the, the first term, don't think of yourself too highly as you ought, is the word hooperphroneo, hooperphroneo. And what that word means is it literally means hooper is like hyper. So that's like, uh, like overly. And then phroneo is think. So he says, literally, he says, don't, don't, like, don't think too much about yourself. Don't overly think about yourself. Don't elevate your view of yourself. But rather, he says, you need to sophroneo. That's sober judgment, sophroneo. And that, that actually means to think of yourself wisely or to think of yourself accurately. So I think here's what Paul's saying, right? He's saying, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you follow Christ, that came off way too easy. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, he says, here's, here's what needs to happen. You need to be transformed in your mind. And basically what he says is, you need to view yourself correctly. And here, here's what the Bible says. If you're a follower of Jesus, it says that you have been forgiven, that you have been reconciled to God, and that you have now been, you've now been imported into his body. You are part of his body. And so you are a piece of the body of Christ. You've been given a certain set of skills and gifts. There are certain things that God has designed you specifically to do, Right? He has prepared you for the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do, right? And there's certain things that you can do as a member of the body. Now, but, what, but here's the thing. He says, but you got to think, in order for this to be the case, you have to think about yourself not, not too much, not too highly. In other words, I think what he's saying is you can't look and say, I don't need anybody else to follow Jesus. He says, you can't say that. Because why? Because you, you are a member of the body. And so how weird would it be for the hand to say, I don't need the rest of those guys. I can follow Jesus on my own. I can just, I can just be me and God and, and the Bible. I don't need to be committed in an interlocking relationship with other followers of Jesus. I don't, I don't need, I can, I, if I want God to work in and through me, I don't need to be I- involved in, in any type of biblical community. I don't need to be connected to other people. I can just do that on my own. And the Bible would say, if that's the stance that you take, you're actually hooperphroneoing. You're thinking too much about yourself. You're thinking too highly of yourself because the Bible says that's not true about you. You are, this is so important, you are incomplete without other people who God has placed around you that are deeply connected to you. You will never experience the full power of God unleashed in your life and through your life apart from a commitment to the body of Christ. This is not gonna happen. I think this is what 1 Corinthians 12 is saying, by the way. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is using the same image. Here's what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There should be no division in the body. There should be no division in the body. But its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. You see what he's saying? He's saying, don't don't say you don't need the other parts. You need the other parts because we are all part of the same body. And it's important for us to come to this conclusion that if I am going to uh, think of myself rightly, that means I have to think of myself as a part of what God is accomplishing together. I think that one of the biggest hindrances to us experiencing God's power unleashed through us as the body, quite honestly, is radical individualism. And, you know, we talk about that sometimes. We live in a, a very hyper-individualistic society. Uh, but what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is it means that I need to come to recognize that my identity is now a, a corporate identity that comes in following Christ. I love what um, uh, an author named Watchman Nee said. Watchman Nee uh, wrote a phenomenal book. Uh, it's actually a commentary on Romans called The Normal Christian Life. And here's what he said. I thought this was really insightful. He said, in Christ, I have died to that old life of independence. I become not just an individual believer in Christ, but I become a member of his body. And there's a vast difference between those two. When I see this, I shall at once uh, have been done with independence and I shall seek fellowship. The life of Christ in me is gonna gravitate to the life of Christ in others. I like the way he said that. The life of Christ in me is gonna gravitate to the life of Christ in other people. I can no longer take an individual line. Jealousy will go, competition will go, private work will go, my interests, my ambitions, my preferences, all will go. It will no longer matter which of us does the work. I'm not as important as I think I am. It's not gonna matter which one of us does the work. Then he goes on, only the Holy Spirit can bring this home to us and it's all of its meaning. But when he does, it will revolutionize my life and my work. See, and I think what he's saying is really strong here. He's saying, if for those of us who follow Christ, we have to recognize I'm not as important as I think I am. 
And I actually need, I actually need for God's power to be unleashed in me and through me, I need to be intimately connected in the lives of other followers of Christ. That's what needs to happen. And if I, if I think I can do it on my own, I am hooper froneoing. I am thinking too much about myself. I'm thinking too highly of myself. And so I'm not as important as I think I am. But I think there's something else too, and that's the second thing. I'm more valuable than I think I am. So I'm not as important as I think I am, but at the exact same time, the Bible's also gonna say, I am more valuable than I think I am. It's interesting, if you look back at our passage, here's what the Apostle Paul says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others, and we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So you notice what he says here. He says, we're all part of one body, right? So we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. We need to be part of that. He says, but we don't all have the same function. That is to say, we all have a different shape. We all have a different function. We're all different body parts. And that means, what that means is, is it means that God has made you the way that you are. He has given you the gifts that you are. He's made you good at the things that he's made you good at. He's given you the experiences that he's given you because you are unique and because you play a unique part in what God is trying to accomplish through his body. Your contribution matters, and it matters more than you think. You are more valuable than you think you are. You are more valuable to the mission of God than you might think you are. First um, Corinthians 12, again, notice what he says. He says, now, the foot, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. So you see what he's saying here? He's saying, you're, you're con- if you look around and you think to yourself, well, my contribution and my gift don't really matter as much to what God is trying to accomplish. He says, you're thinking too, li- you're thinking too little of yourself. You're devaluing what, what's actually true about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you gifts, he's given you abilities, and those are a valuable contribution to what he's trying to accomplish. Honestly, I think that one of the big mentalities that hinders this in the church today is a, is a mentality of volunteerism. And uh, let me explain it this way. So uh, you think about volunteering. Uh, many of you volunteer in different capacities in, in our community. So maybe you volunteer at like Habitat for Humanity, or maybe you volunteer at the library, you volunteer at a school. And by the way, all of those things are wonderful things to volunteer in those ways. But what is volunteerism, right? Volunteerism is basically, it's an altruistic thing. And you're saying, I'm gonna give of my time and I'm gonna give of my energy to help support something that's going on. However, if, if for some reason it doesn't work out or for some reason, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't it, I can't make it, it's actually not my job. And so because it's not my job, someone else is gonna just have to take care of it for me. And, and here's the, and I, like I said, volunteering is a wonderful thing, but here's the problem. Sometimes we take that same line of logic and we import that into the way that we view the body of Christ. If you think about it for a minute, if we truly are the body of Christ, if that's true about us, volunteerism has to go. Because I don't know about you, my body parts don't volunteer. Like my kidney wasn't like, well, I guess I'm gonna jump in today, help out for a little bit, you know? No, it, it, play, it, it has to do its job. Otherwise, otherwise, my body is maimed and my ability to do the work and the will of my spirit and mind is inhibited. Does that make sense? So, so think about this for a minute. Like if this, if this guy's arm, just take this guy's arm for a second. So if this guy's arm was like, eh, you know, I'm just not feeling it, man. I just, you know, I'm, I'd rather not, you know, you know showing up to, to life group or getting connected to the rest of the body. You know what, I just... I'm not feeling it today. I'm pretty tired and, you know, I've, it's been a rough day or whatever. I'm just going to, I'm just going to chill tonight. And uh, the hand came off too. That's <laughs> crazy. But like if, if the arm just said, you know, I just, it, they'll be fine without me. They'll be fine. With, they got the legs. <laughs> you know, the legs are good. They got that going on. He's still, he's still got his eyes. He can do that. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit this one out this week. That's what I'm going to do. Right. Listen, if that happens, if the, if the arm doesn't recognize that it is a very valuable piece of, of the body of Christ, then what's gonna happen is, is, is that the body of Christ is going to be maimed and the mission of Christ is going to be compromised. The ability for the body of Christ to be everything that God has desired it to be cannot be fully enacted unless every part recognizes that it is more important than it thinks it is. But let me ask you a question. 
what would change in your, in your thinking if you actually viewed yourself this way, right? What would change in your thinking if you actually did believe this? If you believed, you know what? I, I am, by the grace of God, I am who I am, and God has made me who I am, and because of that, that means that I am very valuable to what God is trying to accomplish. What if you viewed yourself that way? What if you said, you know what? I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to, this, to our life group. I'm gonna get connected to our church, and you know, it's important that I'm there because I believe that, that what I am doing is an important part in what God is trying to accomplish in my life and in the life of others and through us together. What if you believe that? What if you believe that? What would that change about the way you interact with the body of Christ? See, and I think that this is a necessary conviction. It's a necessary conclusion that we need to come to. You are more valuable than you think you are, right? I just like playing with this arm. This is really fun, right? You guys are more valuable than you think you are. And, uh, and it's true. Right? It's true about every single one of us who follows Christ. And so we have to adopt this. I think what it ultimately boils down to is this final thing, and that's this. It's, I'm exactly who God says I am. I'm just exactly who God says I am. Not as important as I think I am. I'm, I'm, less val- I'm, I'm more valuable than I think I am. And here's, here's the bottom line. I, I think it all boils down to this. I am, for us to be the body of Christ, we have to say, I am, I am who God says I am. I'm just gonna believe what God says is true about me. And this is what uh, the passage says. Think of yourself as sober judgments. Now notice this, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. So in other words, who is it that has distributed these gifts? It's God who's done that. God is the one who has given you the faith that you have. He has given you the gifts that you have. He's given you the grace that you have. That's why he says that you're to use your gifts according to the, the grace that's been given to each one of us. There's another passage in in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, God has placed each part of the body exactly where he wants it to be. And so you see, we have to recognize, okay, God God has made me who I am. And by the grace of God, that's who I am. And he's made me good at what I'm good at. And he's made me bad at what I'm bad at. And he's made me part of the body. And that means that I need other people. And that means that they need me. That means I'm more valuable than I think I am. And I'm less important than I think I am. And so by God's grace, I'm going to believe what he says is true about me, and then I'm going to act accordingly. I think it's interesting, if you notice what he says in Romans 12, he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouragement, then encourage. If it's giving, then give. If it's it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. I love this. You see what he says here? I think this is so insightful. He says, so God's given you the gift and God has made you part of his body and you need other people and they need you. So he says, so here's the bottom line. If your gift is to serve, you know what you should do? Serve. Do it. Use it. If your gift is teaching, what should you do? Just teach. You gotta teach. If it's giving, give. And what he's saying here is, man, if God has given you a gift, then what that means is that no gift should be unused. No gift should be unused that every gift should be employed and activated in the body of Christ. And, and we need to view ourselves the way that God views us as well. And God says, I have made you part of my body and I've given you gifts and I want you to use those. And when you do that, not only will you develop community with other people, but God's mission and God's will and his work will be accomplished through us together and his power will be unleashed in the world that we live in. Honestly, I think that maybe the biggest the biggest hindrance that keeps us from experiencing this, I think a big part of what this is confronting is um, something, I love this term. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this term, uh, but, but there's, this, there's this really great term I heard that I think really captures what Paul's saying here. And it's the term terminal uniqueness. Anyone ever hear that before? Just curious. Anyone ever hear that? Okay, a couple of you have. If you've never heard this term, I, when I first heard this a few years ago, I thought this was so insightful into the human condition. So Terminal uniqueness is actually a term that finds its uh, origins in Alcoholics Anonymous. So Alcoholics Anonymous is the, is, the, is the organization that originally coined this. And they use this term to explain uh, the, the, uh, the attitude that many newcomers would have when they struggled with the 12 steps. And so basically, uh, when a person was new to AA, very rarely would they feel comfortable at the meetings. Very rarely would they immediately feel at home. Most often, the way that people would feel walking into AA meetings is they would feel like um, no, one, no one in that room was like them, that they were different, and that because no one was like them, no one could really help them. And they actually to- coined this term, terminal uniqueness. And this term, by the way, I think is not just true of people in recovery, which, by the way, we are all in recovery from something, right? It's not just true of people in recovery. It's true, I think, of everybody 
But terminal uniqueness, they said it, it manifests itself in two very distinct ways. And this is actually right off of their website. They said, so one of the ways it manifests itself is a superiority complex. So superiority. So here's an example. A person in AA might say, these people are nothing like me. I never went to jail, never lost my home, never lived under a bridge. What can I, a successful blank, hope to learn from people like this? So in other words, superiority. They come in, look at these people. I'm nothing like these people. These people don't know who, what I'm like. They don't understand who I am. They can never help me. And by the way, this is the way that some of us walk into church, think the same thing. We look around and we say, these people are nothing like us, nothing like me. And, and my life is not like theirs and there's no way they could ever understand me. How could they ever contribute anything meaningful to my life? How could, I, how could that ever be the case? But it also shows up in a degrading mentality, right? It's inferiority complex. These people are nothing like me. They've never been to jail. They never lost a home. They never lived under a bridge. How can they understand my unique problems? How can they help me? And for some of us, we come in the same way. We come into a church setting and we say to ourselves, these people are nothing like me. And these people have got their lives together and they're all real nice. They're great people, which by the way, if you think that, you just don't know us very well yet, right? But we think that. We think, well, there's no way. There's no way that, I, that these people could ever be used in my life. They don't understand me. I am unique and, and no one really understands my problems. And I think what the Apostle Paul is he's saying is he's saying, listen, the truth is we, we, need to, we need to not think too highly of ourselves. We need to not have a superiority complex. We also need to not think too lowly. We can't degrade ourselves and devalue ourselves. He says we need to think rightly about ourselves. And how do you think rightly? Here's how. You adopt what God says about you to be true. And you believe what God says more than you believe what you think. More than, more than what you think about yourself, more than the way you value yourself, you look and you say, this is what God says about me. What does God say about me? God says, if I'm a follower of Christ, I'm part of his body. And that means that I need other people. Regardless if I think I do or I don't, I do. And it means that God wants to unleash his power in and through us together. And that means that I have a valuable contribution to make and that when I'm not, when I'm not contributing in that way, what that means is the body of Christ is maimed and the mission of Christ is compromised. And so we have to think of ourselves in accordance with the way that God desires us to think. We are exactly who God says we are. I'm asking the band to come up, and as they make their way up, and we kind of close our conversation here today, uh, I want to end with just some practical stuff, because somebody might be saying, all right, well, this is, this is an interesting conversation, but what do I do? Like, what are some next steps? Practically speaking, what do I do in light of today's talk? And I think there's a few things. I'll just give you four suggestions. First one is this. I think the first thing is, if you don't follow Jesus, thanks for taking him down, by the way. Um, if you don't follow Jesus, follow Jesus. I think that's the starting place. If you're a person that's investigating Christ, I just want to encourage you that as you're investigating him, if you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, you should do that. You should do that. Because uh, just think about the great length that Jesus went to to love you and to forgive you. The Bible says that he spanned the universe and he became a man so that he could live the life that we couldn't live and he could die the death for us for the forgiveness of sins. He loves you and when you give your life to Christ, he is inviting you to be part of an incredible movement that he's trying to accomplish in this world. And this is something you're invited to. It's not an insider's club. It's for everybody. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I'd encourage you to do that. Number two, get connected to community. If you are not connected to a community in which you are known and you know others who follow Christ, it is significant and important that you do that. And the reason is because that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. It means to be in an interlocking relationship with other followers of Jesus in which you can deeply know one another and be committed to one another so that you can become the body of Christ. This is why we emphasize things like life group. We understand that in a church like ours, it's, it's very easy to come in and come out, come in and go out and get lost in the shuffle and never really know anybody and never be known meaningfully. And we think that that is actually something that can be a hindrance to your spiritual growth. It can hinder you from God's power being unleashed in you and through you. And it can hinder God's power from being unleashed in our body. That's why we do things like life group. So if you haven't gotten a life group, get in a life group. It's a great next step. Number three, use your gifts to serve others. Uh, God has given you abilities and, and skills if you're a follower of Christ. And he has given to you those for a reason. And so if you're not utilizing those in a meaningful way to help invest in other people, uh, that's a great step for you to take. And what I mean by this is, I guess here's a question. Are you shouldering any regular responsibility? where someone relies on you, where, where, there, where there is that you're, you're using something that God has given you to help honor God and to serve his body. Is that happening? 
And if that's not happening, I would just say the body of Christ is incomplete. We're not what we need to be uh, because he has put you here for a reason. And, uh, and we do this together. So I would encourage you, if you're not doing that, get connected to community, start doing that. Um, by the way, one of the great ways, if you're like, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, one of the great ways to discover those is we actually have something called discovery. If you've never been part of discovery, I would encourage you to get connected to that. Next week is the first part of discovery. It's called intro. You can just come to that. We'd love to, to get you dinner, watch the kids, and talk through some of this stuff together. And then the last thing, real practical, I would just say, if you're a follower of Christ, and I just need, I need to hear this one myself. Just stop listening to yourself so much. And I'll just tell you, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I fl- on any given day, I fluctuate from overly thinking about myself and, and, and just, just, just having a, a arrogance and pride to being insecure and devaluing myself. I go through this 40, 50, 60 times a day, fluctuating between these opinions of, I think I'm awesome, and now I think I'm terrible, and I think that I'm the greatest thing, and now I think I'm, you know, whatever. And the truth is, I just, I just got to stop thinking about myself so much. And I need to just remember, I am exactly who God says I am. And so rather than allowing myself to determine and dictate who I am, I'm going to let my Father in heaven who loves me, who created me, I'm going to let him tell me who I am. And then I'm going to act accordingly. I'm going to step out in faith and believe that if this is what he says about me is true, then that means that if I live in accordance with what he says is true, that by faith, I'm going to see his power unleashed in and through me. I'm not as important as I think I am. I'm not. I'm more valuable than I think I am. And I am. Because I'm exactly who God says I am. I'm exactly who God says I am. And you are too. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I'm thankful that you've given us this image of your body, that we are the body of Christ. What an amazing thought. It is, it is profound to think that we are, the, we are the, the method that you want to bring your work and your mission and unleash your power into the world that we live in tangibly. And so, God, I know, that that's, I know that's what you desire for us. And so I pray that you would help us to desire what you desire for us. Father, we don't want your body to be inhibited we don't, want, we don't want your work, we don't want your mission to be stifled, God, but we wanna, wanna be available to you. We wanna be a healthy body that is responsive to the, to, the, to the head, that is responsive to the spirit within it. And God, together, we wanna be committed to each other in such a way that we can be used to manifest your, your power on this earth. So Father, I pray you'd use this church, use us, God. Use your church in Medina. God, we know we're not the, the only expression of the body of Christ. There's many other churches that are here that are doing the same thing, and so we pray for them too. And God, we pray for the body of Christ in our community, that your name will be glorified, and that you would use us to reach many, and that you would use us to, to do your will and to do your work. Father, we know that the body doesn't exist for the body. We don't exist just to enjoy ourselves. We, we exist to glorify you and to be used by you and to be available to you. So Father, we wanna lay our lives down to you now and we just wanna say that we are who you say we are. We are not as important as we think we are. We are more valuable than we know we are. And ultimately, we are who you say we are. We wanna be transformed by that. So we wanna pray it in Christ's name, amen.